Welcome to the Doctors Changing Medicine podcast, where we feature physicians who are redefining the practice of medicine and changing the experience we have as doctors in medicine. We all know the system is broken, but we've decided not to complain about it anymore. We're out to fix it. I'm Dr. Una, your host. I'm a pediatrician and serial entrepreneur, but my passion is helping physicians create the freedom to live life and practice medicine on their terms. This is not just a podcast, it's a movement, a movement of change, and I invite you to be a part of it. Let's jump right in. Well, hello, hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Doctors Changing Medicine podcast. I am super pumped because I have the amazing Dr. Diana McCardo here, and she is a family medicine doc, and she is a clinic director, chief medical director, all kinds of stuff. And she is also a life coach for physicians with ADHD. And uh, we're going to have a really great conversation. And whether you have ADHD or not, there's so much to unpack here, so much to learn. So I want you to lean in. So Welcome to the show, Doc. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here today. I'm excited you're here. Now, usually I start off this show by asking, right? Because a lot of times as doctors, we're like, you know, I'm a doctor. That's what I do. And but I get, you know, I have the privilege of interviewing amazing doctors like you who are doing all these other things. And so you're a family doctor and you're going what I would consider an untraditional path. And then you start doing all this other stuff. So what happened? <laughs> Yeah. So I'll back up. You know, I kind of always knew I wanted to be a physician and I always kind of knew I wanted to do like primary care because I wanted to reach the people who were like me, who were probably not used to seeing other doctors that look like them. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to make that connection, like I wanted to speak to them in their language, or I wanted to have that insight that, hey, we don't all look the same, but I get you. And so I always knew I wanted to be a doc. And that drove me to be motivated and, and stuff. And if you ask me when I got diagnosed, I will tell you it was medical school and it was my first year. And now I've come to realize that my story is not unique. Unfortunately, there's a lot of us that get diagnosed at that time because we hit a ceiling where how smart we are and all the life hacks that we've tried, like no longer support us, right? And so why all the things? Oh, I think part of ADHD, of course, I didn't know I had ADHD before because I looked around and all my family was kind of little energetic, crazy, wacko, funny, hoardings type of stuff. And I thought that was kind of the norm. And so, of course, I didn't think anything of it. And because I was kind of the first one to do a lot of first things, I just didn't know how to and I didn't make it mean anything. So I knew sometimes I had to do point A, B, C, D and keep asking different people and not take it to heart that I it didn't work out the first time. And so I think part of that was when somebody who has ADHD, now it's so easy to look at it looking back, but you couldn't have seen it then. When you're driven and you're aligned by your passion, you hyper focus on that that drives you and aligns you and gives you energy. And So the other adulting things that are not as fun for us or kind of boring or kind of administrative can be a little bit 
more of a nuisance. And therefore, there was always some disconnect at places and I couldn't see it. I mean, it was always, I was Diana who would always have good grades, but sometimes I had to do the work two or three times because I would lose it. And I would be like, I swear I did it, but I didn't save it or I printed it and then somehow I forgot it. And so there was always places all along where it was obvious I had ADHD. But because I was in high school and I was running and the cross-country team, and mind you, I only made the varsity team because I was passing all my classes and everybody else was not, and I was not the fastest of the team. I was the one who kept showing up. And so that, again, something that drives you. And I didn't realize that running, you know, five to 10 miles a day was the dopamine that my brain needed to be able to mask that I had ADHD. And then I hit college and then I'm not running five to 10 miles a day because there's like no structure. There's no coach telling me, come on, run faster. My, my grandma runs faster than you, you know? And yet he's on a golf cart pushing us to run in a hundred degree weather in South Texas. And so I didn't have that internal mentor who was pushing me to exercise or do different things when I'm in college. And of course, the freshman 15 happens and I guess I was using food for dopamine, but it was and I remember I struggled like my first year. I remember laughing when they're like, well, ma'am, for your scholarship, you just have to maintain like a B plus average. I was like, honey, I'm an A student. I got this. And then all of a sudden I started struggling and I was like, this is not me. I remember I had a conversation with my chemistry professor and I was like, how did I get a C? Like, and he's like, this is average. I was like, I'm not an average student. Like, <laughs> why are you calling me average? And, but so what did I do? I went and I got tutors and I didn't make it mean anything. I just kept studying more and studying more. And I remember he told me, he's like, well, just finish the class, honey. Cause it was my first semester. And he's like, in your third or fourth year, when you're almost done, you'll have plenty of free time. Come back and take it again. If you want to boost your GPA, of course, I finally got the hang of it, right? By your second, third, fourth year, even though I was on probation my first year for losing almost my scholarship, I got the hang of it. And if you see my transcript, they went boop, 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 boop. And of course, it was A and A and A all the way to the end. And it averaged out. And so no, that C didn't matter, right? But it was like a realization that I needed to ask for help, which was not something that I had done before because it had come easy because whatever I was taking in, in high school was things I loved, right? And so that's where, and even then, I didn't make it mean anything. I was just like, well, maybe it's because I'm also working a job, you know, at HEV at a grocery store or trying to do so many things. So then I cut back and I actually started doing a job within my college where I was either at the gym, like at the gym desk, and I strategically Pick the hours where it was slow so I could study and get paid. <laughs> Because, you know, I came from a first generation immigrant family where the money, like if we had more than 30,000, like that was like good, right? So education was always a way forward. And I get to med school. And of course, I am so grateful. It was my one of my friends that I was studying with. She said, Diana, something is going on. I see you studying 80, 90 hours. Like, I don't know if you stud you're not sleeping or you're not eating. You know, if you're not resting, you're not concentrating. I have no idea. Or are you stressed because you're putting all this like anxiety about not letting all your family down and all well, that whatever that means or the fact that your dad just got diagnosed with cancer, right? Like, which one is it? And so I went, I got tested and then they say you have ADHD. So maybe a lot of people would have 
And I didn't even know at that point what it was. Like, I just assumed it was something like little kids did jumping around. And I do remember I was doing that, but I just thought I was being a kid, right? Because again, all my cousins were the same. So, you know, and yeah, I was in trouble, but I mean, I was, I didn't learn English till I was 10. And then I quickly advanced, like I skipped some grades, six weeks, six weeks, and then I got back to where I needed to be at. And so when I was hyperactive, my parents sometimes came and sat there, but I mean, I think anything of it I thought well and it was like weird because I was kind of like the teacher's pet because she would give me so much work and I would do it and I would and then she'd be like okay god okay go do this go do that and I would do it and then I and then of course uh, I'm a talker as you can see I haven't stopped talking and I distracted everybody right but I wasn't trying to distract them I was just trying to teach them so they could finish faster so we could play (laughs) so when I got diagnosed I actually felt a great shame I felt like meant I was broken. And because in my mind, like, I was a good girl. I was the one that had the good grades. And if you had the good grades, you you were worthy of love. And ADHD meant that I wasn't getting all those good grades because my passion for helping others was not being reflected. I don't know if it was just the multiple choice testing or the standardized test testing, but it was just not correlating. At some point, I kind of said, well, screw it. If C is all I got, C it is, still C equals MD. I'm still going to graduate one day and it'll be okay. And I remember not passing my first step one. I missed it by one point. And I was a little devastated, but, you know, I think life always prepares you for things because I actually, when I, I graduated from St. Mary's University at San, in San Antonio, I was clever enough to know that there's few of us that get into med school right away. So I got certified as a high school teacher, just in case I said, I will keep teaching and I will keep applying until they say, okay, this lady is not going to give up. And so eventually I'll get there. I remember I was shocked when I took the high school part of the science for teacher. Guess what? I also missed it by one point. And I was so mad. I was like, what? How can I be getting like good grades now in college? And I don't even know high school stuff. Like I was so mad. But so what I do, I read the whole book. I outline the book. I go take the test like maybe six weeks later and I did fine. I passed it with like 30 or 40 points above. But the other part of it, the cognitive and teaching part of it, it was like a walk in the park because again, that's where I align. I feel like because I think differently and I connect with different people, that was not hard. And so then the application happened. So anyways, when I I missed step one with one point, most people would have been like, well, you know, no, it's okay. So at this Stuff point, happens. you already had the diagnosis, right? So were yes. you on medication at this point? Yes. At this point, I was on medication. Honestly, I don't know if at this point I was on enough medication because I was started uh, at that point. I didn't even realize like I was started on Ritalin five milligrams, like twice a day. And to me, that was like, oh, like it was. But then guess what? It would wear off. And I didn't even understand like the mechanism of it. And then I would be like punishing myself. I'll be like, I can't believe this. Like you can only study for so long. Like I was blaming myself for it not lasting (laughs) long enough. And now for a quick word from our sponsor. This episode of the Doctors Changing Medicine podcast is sponsored by the EntreMD Business School. We didn't get any business education during our medical training. And this school fixes that. It is the only school of its kind that helps physicians become thriving entrepreneurs who make money, have impact, and have time for the things that matter. You will get the coaching, accountability, and community you need to be successful. 
To find out more and to save your spot, go to EntreMDBusinessSchool.com. And now for the rest of the episode. I'm sure somebody's listening to this and they're like, wait a minute, right? So either for themselves or somebody that they work with and they're like, wait a minute, right? I want you to take this a little further, right? Yeah. So you did this, you did the step one, you had you were a little bit of medication that was wearing off too quick. But now take me to when you're a resident or you're an attending. Yeah. What does that look like? So finally, I realized that mechanism of action and it was too short acting and I went and I and said, please give me an extended release. So 18 milligrams of Ritalin, what it was. And that started to make a big difference. So I think the good thing about being medical students and residents is that you get to sample like all the specialties, right? And which is wonderful for family medicine, because guess what? That's your role. You have to be able to think on your feet and know, when can I handle this? And when can I ship this off, right? And so because some of my medications weren't lasting long enough, I constantly was criticizing myself and probably feeling like I was criticized by other people because they would be like, she has awesome patient care, but she can't keep it together when she's presenting, right? Like, so I would get that feedback. I would like hyper-focus on sudden I gave you a book about the patient and like unaware of the time, like how long that took me. And they're like, ma'am, you still have three more people to see. You just started the first one. And so that time awareness where time just stops, it's like now or not now. And of course, whatever we're doing, we love. And so you don't even realize like 45 minutes or an hour has gone by and, and you're so engulfed. And of course, the patients are going to keep telling you, right? They're going to be like, oh, and this thing and this thing and this thing. And so at that point, when you're a medical student or when you're a resident, you still have not learned the ropes of like tight chip, right? And you have a whole panel. You're at a stage where you're learning, you're grasping, you're thinking of all the zebras and you have not like gotten your stuff down. So guess what? I was the dreamer. I was literally thinking of all the zebras, right? And I would be curious to see what that meant for the admin stuff, like charting and sending in bills and responding to inboxes and all those things. Yes. So that always got me into tons of trouble. It was a love-hate relationship because at that time I didn't have kids. So it was okay for me to spend eight to 10 hours outside of work that were not documented. Eight to 10? Yeah. Uh, well, per week. Wow. Like, yes, eight to 10 hours outside. And then as I got up, it got more because I had more responsibilities, sometimes even up to 20 hours. Okay. And it was a combination of me being too hyper focused, a combination of perfectionism, a combination of getting distracted and not having insight or awareness to say, hey, please don't interrupt me. Let me finish this thing. Like, I didn't have any prioritizing awareness. So if my attending said, hey, go get these labs or go do this. I went and guess what? My notes weren't done. Like that was not a priority. He probably assumed or she probably assumed I already did it, right? But I hadn't. And so that's where I would get myself into trouble. Working from long-term memory always meant I had to do it. Like I had to sit there and try to piece it together. And sometimes I had the best notes, but then I would lose the damn notes. So then I would be calling the patients back, trying to figure out what we talked about. Yeah, not a good combination. That, but they okay. thought I was the Call, best doc because calling I'm calling the patient back. back. Oh my goodness. Goodness. Okay. Yes. <laughs> so now you got to this place and you got medication and you yes. got the help that you got. What made you decide that, okay, I need to help other people? Because that's what you do now, right? Like you help yes. other other doctors who have ADHD. Yes. So 
to get to that stage, it took a little while. Actually, as you can see, I'm very energetic. That's the way I am. And anything that I love, I'm going to do. Whether it means driving my energy down for the greater good, that's what I'm going to do. So I finished residency. I'm excited because finally I'm on like 18 milligrams in the morning and five milligrams in the afternoon so that I could chart a little bit longer at home and I wouldn't take me that long. And they say, hey, you're about to be an attending. Go see your a new physician because now you're going to be your own thing. You, you don't need to come to that student health, right? So I do. And then that new attending tells me, you're a physician. You outgrow this. Why are you here? You know, you don't need meds. Oh my God, that was just a three minute appointment. And it internalized that shame that I originally felt about the diagnosis. And I, you know, never questioned that person's words because in my mind, oh my God, he's a psychiatrist, right? He's a specialist. So what happened then is that I ignored it for the next eight years of my life. And as you just read, I collected different titles as I moved from from job and the current place I'm at, I'm at five years. And I think it's because of my ADHD that I'm very outspoken and I'll tell you what I'm thinking. And so they're like, okay, well, she's a leader. Let's just put her in there. But in the last year, as the pandemic got, our mental health went down. And then that caused me to feel more nervous and more worrisome. And then my hours, like I said, now 20 hours of charting or something crazy. I finally invested in myself. I thought about my diagnosis. I got myself an ADHD coach, a life coach. I started medications again. And now I have figured out how to come home with no charts, Yes. how uh... to now help other individuals have my own business, teaching them what I've now learned in this last year so that they don't have to do what I was doing. For eight and years. For eight years. And a very wise mentor helped me do the math. And we figured out that it was about $6,000 a week that I was not getting paid for uncharting and for in-basket stuff. And that was like $70,000 a year. And then times eight, oh my God, right? So again, the charting. But what about all those hours that I'm never going to get back, right? Like not sleeping, not going on vacation, not showing up. And then I have, now I have a two and a four-year-old. So it's very important that time that I'm using, I'm using it because I have purposely put it on my calendar, not just because it was quicksand that fell on and five years from now is not going to matter that I did that, right? And so this is why I'm here today to say, if you know yourself or a colleague who maybe is always kind of late to the meetings, who is maybe always kind of fluttered when you give them one more thing to do, or somebody who gets kind of loses it when something changes because they already thought they had their schedule figured out, talk to them because they might have ADHD. They might be trying their hardest. They're just kind of struggling along, right? And you might change their life and you might change your family's life because if they get the diagnosis or if at least if they get help, if they figure out how to make systems, because as you can see, nobody taught me that there was other tools. Nobody taught me, go talk to a therapist, go talk to a psychiatrist, go talk to a life coach, go talk to an ADHD coach. And this is a wonderful thing now that I do both. I'm an ADHD life coach. It's all stops in one, right? Where I can now share you almost 40 years of experience with ADHD. But again, you don't have to have ADHD. You just have to not be aware of your time management system sometimes and ask for help when you have not asked for help before because maybe you were too ashamed of it. And someone is listening and probably someone who has ADHD and they're like, oh my goodness, this is amazing. And they're wondering, like, I'm going to work tomorrow. What is one thing I can do differently that would make a big difference in my experience? What would you tell them? 
Actually, I have two. I know you said one, but the first one is very important. The first one is making sure that they block time, free time for themselves somewhere. That's the most important thing, whether it's 20 minutes or an hour or a half a day, whatever, because when you block time for yourself, that's might be the only time where you actually rest. And you need to think that that time that you're blocking is like you're going to go meet the CEO of your company because you are the CEO of your company. So usually we give up that slot first when something happens. But no, you need to literally on your phone, put CEO meeting and that's it. That's the first thing. It sounds counterintuitive because most people with ADHD always feel overwhelmed and feel like they have 10,000 things on their plate. And I'm asking you not to put stuff there. But when your mind is grounded, everything else follows. The charting piece. You cannot go away without the charting piece. For every patient you see, you need to have a timer and you need to close the note right afterwards. No exceptions. Your brain is going to tell you, I can never do this. I'm always having 300 notes behind like I had. Your brain's going to tell you this is too hard, but you know your strength is your short-term memory. It's going to take you four to five minutes right there after that encounter. You're mindful. You order the labs. You order the x-rays. You do whatever. I timed it. Wait till the end of the day. It's going to be 15 minutes. Wait till tomorrow. It's going to be 30 per note. Love it. (laughs) So schedule your CEO time. And then when you're going to see a patient, have your timer and finish your note before you go to the very next patient. Love it. And your brain will tell you you can't, but you can. And this doc goes home every night without any undone notes. So take it from her. All right. Where can people find you, doc? Okay. So please come find me at www.adhd-lifecoach.com. Shoot me an email at overachieve with ADHD at gmail.com. Overachieve with ADHD. I like that. Awesome. All right. So you guys have it. And even if you don't have ADHD, those are some really good tips for your notes, right? So go in, have a timer, do your note before you go to the next patient, go home with no notes, go spend time with family or a Netflix binge, whatever you want to do. All right. So thank you so much, Doc, for coming on the show today. This was super, super helpful. And I love your mission, helping people, physicians who have ADHD, who maybe feel the shame and who maybe someone has told them you outgrow this, you don't need medication and all that stuff so that we can thrive. For everyone else, it's like, yes, you need this, take it. And why is it that for a physician, it's like you'll grow out of it. So thank you for what you do. And for everyone listening, remember to share the episode and I will see you on the very next episode of the Doctors Changing Medicine podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Now this is too good for you to keep to yourself. So I want you to do three things. Number one, subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. Number two, share this episode with all the doctors in your life. Number three, share it on social media. Until next time, remember, you are a huge part of a movement changing medicine, one podcast episode at a time.